What's up, my true crime homies? Thanks for coming back. (laughs) I don't know what that was. Um, If you're still here after that, I love you very much. Oh, my cat just brought me a candy wrapper. Thank you so much for that. Okay, please hold. Okay, I'm back. Um, My cat, Gus, somehow knows how to fetch. that anyone else's cat I don't know (laughs) we got him when we lived overseas so he's our little souvenir kitty and well actually he's a deployment fail cat um yeah I just ask for forgiveness later if you know what I mean but anyway every time I make a podcast episode um he's always gotta come over and beg for attention and want to play and play fetch with me and fight his other brother, and so I'm just, I, you know, whatever. If he comes over here and bothers me, you're just probably going to hear him, but it's fine. But anyway, how are y'all? How are y'all doing? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I think you're really going to like this one, um, and I feel kind of bad saying that because I don't want anyone to ever like the fact that horrible things happen to good people. Um, that's not what we're about here. Um, but I do think that this is very interesting and I do think that law enforcement is very close to pressing charges or I mean, or the family, I guess I should say, but I think law enforcement is very close to charging a suspect in this situation that's been going on here. So, um, I am excited about this in the sense that um, the Rounds family um, will hopefully be getting justice for their son, Dylan, very soon. And hopefully we can figure out what exactly happened to Dylan. Um, I actually first saw this case on my Twitter timeline a few weeks ago, and it's just stuck with me ever since. And when I was trying to think of a podcast episode I wanted to do, I was researching for another one, but then I was like, wait a minute, I need to check up on Dylan Rounds and see what's come of that. Well, a lot of new details have come out since the last time I really like looked at it. So I was just like, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to talk about this. Like it's already made national headlines, but I found out about this case way before it was ever on your TV. Um, so maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't, but, um, we're definitely gonna do a good deep dive into all of this, but, um, before we move on, I have a very, very good update for you, Alex Murdoch, because apparently I was saying Murdoch the whole time, but anyway, Alex Murdoch has been indicted, uh, for the murders of his wife and his son. Um, I am so glad to know that that person is going to be sitting in prison for the rest of his life because he is not stable. Um, he's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there and I am just glad that he is where he needs to be right now. Um, I... I have been waiting for this day for a very long time and 
Um, I think a lot of other people have too, especially in the area of South Carolina. And I've mentioned her so many times on my podcast, but go listen to Mandy Matney um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. She has a whole podcast dedicated to this family. And you talk about research. She's got it for you. So if you're at all interested um, in hearing more about the Murdoch family, you need to go listen to her podcast. Um, So yeah. But okay, that's pretty much all the announcements I have for you right now. Um, I hope you're all doing good. Um, I hope everybody's doing all right. It's kind of almost the end of the week. It's Friday Eve. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll be Friday morning. So maybe you're listening to this on your Friday commute or a walk with your dog or your kid or whatever. Um, I hope this helps pass the time. (laughs) And I hope it doesn't bore you too much. But um, anyway, okay, we're going to go ahead and get on into this episode because I'm telling you what, (sighs) there's a lot to this one. Okay, guys, so recording me doesn't know if I have fixed my intro song, so maybe editing Blakely will come back um, at the beginning or end of this and let you know if I've corrected it, but anyway, let's go ahead and dive right into this. So, um, the case of Dylan Rounds, like I said, I've been following this on my Twitter for quite some time, like before I ever made national headlines. Um, at the time I found this, it was only being, um, I guess, like talked about in really just the Midwest, like up in Utah, Nevada, and all that stuff. Um, it hadn't really made its way over to where I am geographically yet, but the Twitter, um, True crime universe was really puzzled by this one, but a lot of new pieces of information have recently come out and I am dying to talk about them because I think they're very important. So, um, the circumstances are mysterious and questionable with this case. There are things or a lot of things that don't make much sense. And in fact, a lot of the details about this case remind me a lot of Daniel Robinson. So if you remember, Daniel went missing uh, last year, unfortunately, in the desert in Arizona, in Buckeye, Arizona. And um, he is basically what happened to Daniel kind of happened to Dylan. So you have a young man out in the desert when he all of a sudden vanishes into thin air, leaving nothing behind but an article of clothing in Daniel's case or articles of clothing. But um, in the Daniel Robinson case, all of his clothes were found, but the similarities here are still hard to ignore. Um, And people just don't, don't just go missing in the desert. People don't just go missing, period. You know what I mean? So the fact that these are so similar is kind of eerie to me. Um, And I do think it's worth noting because I do absolutely believe that there are some weird things that go on out in the desert when, where there's nothing around because I mean, hello, if you're a true crime homie, then you kind of know this, that when there's nothing around, those places can be optimal for 
horrible people out there in the world. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to go there because I don't like talking about that. But anyway, let's go ahead and start talking about Dylan. So Dylan Rounds is a young 19-year-old man from Rigby, Idaho. His parents are Candace and Justin Rounds, and they later divorced. And there has been some speculation that there is some animosity there, but it's reported that Candace did not see her kids for a few years. Um, Dylan went to Rigby High School and wasn't super social, didn't really do the whole video game thing that most teenage boys do in high school, and he wasn't that interested in going to college, but he had big dreams of becoming a farmer since he was very young. Um, he grew up helping his dad and grandpa on their family farm, and his mom said Dylan could drive a tractor by himself before most kids could ride a bike. That's pretty impressive. I like that. So from the time Dylan was 10 years old, he was growing pumpkin patches and corn to sell. And the Rigby community knew that every year Dylan would have his corn for sale under the county line overpass. They were, they went crazy over his sweet corn. So, you know, like when you're a little kid and you have a lemonade stand, but uh, Dylan had um, pumpkins and corn stand. (laughs) I love practicality. Um, and I would definitely buy his corn. So I, I love corn. Anyway, uh, if I saw a kid selling corn on the side of the road, you can bet your bottom dollar that I would go buy some. So I think that's pretty cool. He was already, he was already a little farmer when he was a little boy. So in fact, though, um, Dylan loved farming and that lifestyle so much that after he graduated high school, he set off to Utah to take over his grandfather's farming operation. So not his grandfather's farm, but his farming operation. Um, His grandfather helped him out and he purchased 640 acres. Yes, you heard that right. Six, four, zero. Think of how much uh, land that actually is. Um, This farm was in the middle of nowhere in Lucen, Utah. I really hope I'm not saying that wrong. I'm going to sound like such an idiot if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but I'm going to call it Lucen, okay? Um, Lucen is located right on the border of Utah and Nevada. And once Dylan got settled on this new farm, he lived in an RV by himself, but there were a few other employees that he hired to help him. And two of those men had also worked for Dylan's grandfather. So they all knew each other. Um, for quite some time. And because of how much Dylan was around his dad and his grandfather working on the farm, he knew these men. They've known Dylan from what I could gather for quite some time. So this was nothing like, ooh, spooky. No, it's really not. So May rolls around. May of this year, by the way. And Dylan is getting ready to plant his first crop. Dylan spent two years preparing the land for this, so it's safe to say he was looking forward to this season, and his plan was that he was going to grow grain and feed for local animals. And while Dylan was living in the desert, he kept in touch pretty regularly with his family, and on May 28th, Dylan got a call from his grandmother. And in this phone call with his grandmother... Um, she was just checking in to see how he was doing and what his plans were for that day. 
And uh, Dylan actually ended up cutting the call short, however, because he saw it was about to rain and he needed to go move his truck um, that had a bunch of seed in the back in the, uh, in the truck bed. And he needed to go put it in the barn, like in the, like a covered barn. Um, so all the seed wouldn't get wet. And the barn and the shed were about five miles away from Dylan's RV. So he would normally drive his pickup truck back and forth to those places. Um, and then later that evening, Dylan's grandmother called him again, but he didn't answer. Now, um, Dylan's grandmother thought this was pretty out of the ordinary because they usually talked every day, but she just thought he was busy and she would talk to him the next day. So the next day came around and his grandmother tried to call him again. No answer. She then reached out to the guys um, that worked with Dylan. Their names were Kurt and Dawn, and she asked if they would go check on him. So Kurt and Dawn go looking for Dylan, but they couldn't find him anywhere. And that is when they noticed that his truck was still parked at the RV, and it looked like the seed truck made it into the shed. So there are two different trucks, okay? So now... It's reported that on May, that on Monday, I'm sorry, Monday, May 30th, Dylan's grandmother then reached out to one of Dylan's friends from Idaho named JD. She asks JD if he had heard from Dylan and he said no. So then JD calls Dylan's mother to see if she had heard from him. Um, Candace, his mom, hadn't heard anything either. And it wasn't too out of the ordinary to go a few days without talking to him. But once she realized his grandmother hadn't heard anything for a while, she knew something was off. Um, she became very worried at this point because of the type of Dylan's work in the terrain he was dealing with every day. Um, there were lots of snakes and wildlife and Dylan worked with very heavy equipment on the daily. Um, so she was scared that he may have been hurt and couldn't get help. Um, rightfully so. So, Candace immediately called Justin, Dylan's dad, and uh, his dad was driving home from Las Vegas that day, and he said he hadn't heard from Dylan either. So, Candace and Justin immediately headed to the farm in Utah to see if they could find Dylan. So, once Candace and Justin got to Dylan's farm, they found Dylan's truck parked next to his RV. But they noticed his truck was locked, which they thought was odd at the time. But other than that, nothing really looked disturbed. So they looked around some more and decided to call the sheriff's office. The sheriff came out and took a report and looked around the property. After about an hour and a half of searching, something very interesting and chilling was found. Dylan's boots. His boots were found tossed behind a dirt pile about 200 yards from his RV, and this really concerned his parents. Um, Dylan was known to only have one pair of boots. Um, he wasn't the kind to have multiple pairs, so for his boots to not only be all the way over there and to look like they were thrown was very odd and very concerning because Dylan was someone who wore his things out like he would not buy a lot um especially with his boots because one article that I read said that 
when he had shoes, he would wear them until they wore out. And then as soon as they were worn out, he would go buy the same exact pair. And that's what he did. And that's the same thing he did with his boots. So to find that his one and only pair of boots that he had, that he worked in, were found tossed behind a dirt pile. Um, they were not like neatly set down or anything like that. But for that to happen really really worried his parents. So now everyone is thinking, speaking of his mom, his dad, the sheriff, um, first the truck and now his boots, but there's still no Dylan. So law enforcement actually looked at the boots and noticed there were what looked like drops of blood on them. And they took these with them to do further testing and nothing else was really found that day. So they left. And the next day, the family had some volunteers come out to the farm to help look for Dylan. But because the property was over 600 acres, they didn't really know where to start. I mean, that would overwhelm me. Um, I mean, like, gosh, first of all, you're dealing with the disappearance of your son. And then you're trying to think of, oh my gosh, where do I look first? And you have this vast desert area. I wouldn't know what to do either. So I don't blame them at all. So, as they were kind of thinking about, like, oh my gosh, where do we start? This is when Candace remembered something. A week prior, Dylan told her he was driving on a gravel road when a man approached him and asked him for a ride to Montello, the nearest town, which is about 30 minutes away. Dylan told him no, because he, the guy seemed like he was on drugs, so the man asked to use his phone instead, and Dylan obliged and let him use his phone. Dylan told his mom this story because he thought it was just kind of crazy and weird. Um, and Candace said that she was glad that he didn't give the man a ride because the desert can bring out the drug addicts and crime. And later on, Candace found out that this man's name was Chase. And he had been asking around in Montello about Dylan shortly after this run-in with him. Gosh, I'm sorry. My voice just gave out there. I've been dealing with some stuff. I, I don't know if you can tell. My voice sounds like a little gravelly. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so, not long after Candace got wind of this, Kurt, again, one of the guys that worked with Dylan on his farm, came forward with some more chilling information. Kurt allegedly said that Chase had kidnapped Dylan and was holding him in a building in Montello. Um, what? I, I mean, maybe Kurt was just trying to help. I don't know. Do I know where he heard this? Not really, because I can't, I looked everywhere to try to figure out, like, how did Kurt just, like, know this? Did he, like, go chit-chat with Chase for a little bit? I don't know. Um, I thought that was kind of weird, so I'm sorry I can't elaborate more on that. Maybe I can later as more things come out, or maybe one of y'all know more than I do, but I was like, I saw that, and I was like, what the heck? How would he know that Dylan was kidnapped and he was being held in a building against his will? It's kind of an odd thing to just all of a sudden come out with, don't you think, Kurt? But anyway, I'm not hating. I'm just speculating. So Dylan's parents find this out. And they immediately alert the authorities, as they should. So, um, Box Elder County, that's the name of the county that Lucen is in, if that makes sense. So, that's two words. Box and Elder 
Okay, so I just want to make sure that's clear. So box elder authorities, um, because of um, Dylan possibly being held in a building in Montello, that is the Elko County Sheriff's Office. Okay, E-L-K-O, Elko. So the box elder authorities then contacted Elko law enforcement, who has had no idea that there was even a missing person. They had no clue. I mean, given the town is 30 minutes away from Lucen, but still, they had no clue that there was a missing person at the moment. So, um, this was kind of infuriating because, infuriating, can I speak right? I don't think so. This was kind of infuriating because Montella was a town that Dylan went to a lot since it was closest to him. So, Elko Law Enforcement later found the property in question and they found nothing there. Like, not a thing. And Chase assured that he had nothing to do with Dylan's disappearance. And he even called the authorities on two different occasions to tell them he had an alibi during the time Dylan went missing. But apparently, law enforcement wasn't even taking his calls. They ended up getting in touch with Chase um, later on and confirmed that he did have an alibi but because he has an outstanding warrant from something else, they arrested him. So law enforcement then began looking into Dylan's phone locations around the time he seemed to go missing. They were able to ping his phone and get his whereabouts on May 28th. And his phone was pinged at around 3.50 p.m. and it was near his RV, but Dylan's phone had not been found at this time. Um, so they were just able probably to triangulate, like, the signal, if that makes sense. I mean, I probably sound dumb to some of y'all who probably know way more than I do about that. <laughs> I'm just going by, <coughs> excuse me, I'm just going by what I hear other podcasters research and, like, what I see in, like, documentaries and stuff. Not just, like, CSI and, um, <laughs> it's CIS, okay? But, um... That, that's my guess, is that they were able to, like, get a ping off some cell towers in the area to find out that uh, Dylan's phone um, was near his RV at 3.50 p.m. on May 28th, the day he went missing. So, law enforcement also knew, though, that Dylan's wallet was also still missing at the time, and his parents said that there was no activity on his bank accounts since he had vanished. And then, about a week later, after Dylan's disappearance, Candace and Justin found out that Dylan's boots were still in the back of the police cruiser. Are you kidding me? What? Um, so I'm guessing it was pretty obvious that there were blood spots on the boots, but they didn't think to test it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because there's a good chance that I am, but wouldn't that, like affect something like whenever you're testing if you're sitting in the back of a hot police car because this happened in May okay I don't know the temperatures I I know that it's a lot drier than it is in Florida <laughs> where I'm at right now but come on dude are you kidding me so anyway the police officer they spoke with said that it was because they needed a cadaver dog to get the scent off the boots in order to search for Dylan, but his parents were like, uh, you don't need that, bruh. Cadaver dogs are trained to smell 
decomp no matter who it is. Um, you don't really need like someone's scent to smell decomposition. Again, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just how I understand it. So was the officer trying to dismiss Dylan's parents? Who actually knows? We're not really sure. But more volunteers later came out and helped search some more, but this time with drones and a helicopter. And in fact, if you know who Heavy D is, I love Heavy D. He is on the show Diesel Brothers. Um, it is absolutely my husband's fault that I started watching Diesel Brothers, but it is a really cool show. Um, Heavy D, along with, is it his brother? Lord, there's like two main guys. Heavy D's one of them. But he helps rebuild like these crazy insane trucks and like all-terrain vehicles for people. And he has some resources um, that he kindly uses to um, help people out with missing friends or family members. I just think he's awesome. Like it's not just this case. He's helped out with other cases as well. And he actually has videos talking about certain cases on his Facebook page. So if you're interested in that and you just want to hear from a good-hearted person, go look up Heavy D. So, yeah, okay, just had to put that. So, Heavy D brought out his helicopter um, and told the family that he would help search the area with this. That is amazing. I love Heavy D. Love him. So, the farmland Dylan lived on is actually near, I believe, Hill Air Force Base. Um, if it's not Hill Air Force Base, then it is some Air Force Base, okay? But because of this, there was restricted airspace. But the um, Air Force was willing to allow Heavy D's helicopter to fly around for the most part to help search for Dylan. There were still some restricted areas, but they didn't really, they didn't seem too concerned about those restricted areas. So anyway, it worked out, it worked out well, but um, they were looking for disturbances in the land and for anything that possibly looked out of place. And I also hope I'm saying this right. Texas Equus, EcuSearch? EcuSearch? <laughs> Guys, I'm trying. Um, they were on standby. And they wanted to come out to help. But they had to get approval from law enforcement first. And to this day, um, people are not really sure that they are going to get that clearance yet. Um, but if you don't know what this group is, again, it's Texas EcuSearch, EquiSearch, I don't know, I'm sorry. Um, if you don't know what this is, like me, here's what they do. It's pretty remarkable. They're a nonprofit organization, this is from their website, governed, governed by a board of directors with financial support from private donors. They never charge a family for, or a law enforcement entity for their services. They are headquartered in Houston, Texas, and they help in ground searches as well as using things like scan sonar, ground penetrating radar, boats, aircrafts, drones, and ATVs, and of course, horses to help search for missing persons. They are highly skilled and have received numerous awards from law enforcement for their efforts all across the U.S., this team was founded by Tim Miller in August of 2000 after his own daughter was abducted and murdered. And that kind of ends that from their website. But this is a very, very impressive team. And I highly recommend you visit their website. I'll post it in the show notes. Um, 
But I'll speak on a little more about this at the end of the episode. I just really encourage you to go look at their website. It is it is very, very cool. So, okay, back to the investigation. Along with disturbances in the land, a man-made pond that Dylan made himself um, was looked at. And it was drained, but nothing was found there. And as of today, the family feels that law enforcement isn't taking this case seriously enough. Um, I think maybe now that more things have come out, I think they feel differently. I know that they are thankful for their help. So that's, that's not it at all. It's just that their son went missing under mysterious circumstances and his boots sat in the back of a policeman's car for over a week. So, I mean, how could you not think that they're, you know, not looking out for you, you know? So, What's interesting, though, is that a lot of people have apparently reached out to law enforcement themselves, but supposedly never got a call back, or anything, for that matter. And I'm not calling anyone out about this, and I'm not trying to make accusations here. Um, I'm not trying to say law enforcement hasn't done their jobs. I'm sure there's a reason for what they do, because I am a big supporter for law enforcement. But I'm just going by what the family has said in previous statements, and... Um, there was definitely a time where they were a little disappointed in how it was being handled. So, with this kind of being basic knowledge in the town, an area that Dylan went missing, um, that, you know, people were talking about this, rumors were flying around, and everyone pretty much knew about it in the area. So, with that kind of knowledge floating around the town, um, tipsters actually started calling the family directly because, People were finding out, hey, don't call law enforcement because they're not going to answer your phone calls or call you back. So they just called his family. Now, I'm not clear of the timeline here or when this actually took place. But Dylan's dad um, went back to his truck. I got a cough. Hold on. Okay, thank you. I had to cough really bad. I was trying very hard not to. (laughs) But okay, I don't know when this actually happened. Um, if it was later on or if it was, um, like the same day they initially found Dylan's truck, but Justin, Dylan's dad ended up breaking into Dylan's truck because remember it was locked. Um, he, he actually broke one of the windows out and got in that way. And he was looking for clues or anything that could possibly tell him something. And I would have done the same thing. And when he got into the truck, he noticed a couple things. First of all, like I said earlier, Dylan never locked his truck. It was something he never did. So that was the first thing that stood out to him. And the other thing he noticed with that was that Dylan's driver's seat was also pulled all the way up as if a short person had been driving his truck. Dylan is 5'11". So he always had the seat all the way back. So this was also very odd to his parents. And they also noticed a couple more things that were rather chilling to them. Dylan's truck had recently been washed. And in all the articles I read, it specifically said pressure washed. There was some dirt in the wheel wells, but the truck looked very clean on the outside. So this kind of indicated that the truck had been driven around um, and at some point was driven back to the RV, but there were no tire tracks. Because it had rained. So, yeah. 
The truck was also in four-wheel drive, and Dylan knew the four-wheel drive on his truck was broken, so he never used it. So why would it be in four-wheel drive? This is when Dylan's parents wondered if someone else had been driving his truck. So given these details, it was time to then look into the people Dylan knew. So one of the farm hands that worked with Dylan had previously worked for his grandfather. Um, this guy wasn't totally thrilled to be working for a 19-year-old because he was significantly older than Dylan. Um, so they had some issues and this man was eventually fired, but he and Dylan parted ways respectfully. Like there was no animosity there. Um, people have said that this guy is a really good man and he would never do anything to hurt Dylan. It's important to remember though, that this was the guy Dylan's grandmother called, um, or one of them to go look for Dylan. Um, when she realized no one had heard from him. So she called Kurt and Dawn and I, and then she called this man. Um, so yeah. So I'm sorry. I had a brain fart. So now <laughs> let's go to Chase, the creepy guy on the gravel road asking for a ride. Remember? So like I mentioned before, law enforcement says Chase had an alibi, but we don't know what that is. Um, a lot of people are highly suspicious of him and I'm highly suspicious of him. How could you not be? Okay, so we also have Kurt though. Kurt is in his 60s and was a friend of Dylan's and he helped on the farm. But here's an interesting claim that was made by a private investigator. I don't know whether to think this is just crazy and this guy just pulled this out of his butt or... I don't, I don't know what to do with this information. So, according to this PI, I don't know his name. Um, Kurt and Dylan were in a relationship. But Dylan's family cannot confirm this. And there is technically no proof of this. However, <laughs> like, what? But anyway, Kurt, though, has a brother named Troy that lives in the area of the farm. And he has a pretty lengthy criminal record, um, like stalking and sex crimes, to be specific. Um, and because of that um, connection there, law enforcement took this information very seriously. Because apparently, Troy had kidnapped two women and held them captive in a building near Montello. Sound familiar? Remember when I mentioned this earlier? So... As Dylan's case has garnered more attention from the public, the FBI has now gotten involved, as well as the Utah Department of Public Safety. Good. As they should. Now, I want to now get into the terrain and the areas we are discussing here, because that is equally as important as all this information. So I'm going to try to paint a picture here for you. According to one article I came across that was very well written, um, Lucen, where Dylan's farm is, is absolutely desolate. Absolutely desolate. Um, so desolate, in fact, that in the 1930s, it was abandoned. And it wasn't until the, the 90s that four people lived there. That was the actual town population. Four whole people. Wow. Um, interestingly, <laughs> Lucent is listed on the Ghost Towns of Utah list. And the airport is actually someone's home. I bet you've never heard that one before. 
I sure have it. So anyway, when you look this up on Google Maps, which any of you can do to see for yourselves, there's literally nothing out there, y'all. Just vast land with ever-changing terrain and lots of dirt. A lot of dirt. So let's now go to Montello, Nevada in our minds. Um, <clears throat> Montello is the town, again, that Dylan would visit quite often as it was the nearest town over. It was 30 minutes away from Lucen. And Montello currently has a population of 50 people. That was as of 2018, so maybe they've grown. But <laughs> in 2018, it was 50. 5-0. Um, they had some establishments, though. They had a post office, a school, a local park, a church, that kind of thing. But it ain't much. But you want to know something else that's crazy? There's also another missing person in the same area. Yeah, I came across this as I was researching for this case. So I'm going to put in a little tidbit here about this missing person. The missing person in question, his name is Aiden Kloon. Aiden is also 19 years old and went missing about a month before Dylan on April 26th. He was noted missing after he left his hotel in Wells, Nevada at 6.23 a.m. and law enforcement later found his truck abandoned on the side of a highway. His truck was also locked with no signs of any disturbances. Law enforcement did find footprints near his truck that they tracked for 11 miles and they said it seemed like whoever this was may have been walking very fast or running the entire 11 miles. They eventually were able to check out Aiden's phone. And when they did, they noticed his last pinged location was at 8.57 a.m., which was southwest of where his truck was found. His truck was also found in a very desolate area as well. An L... Uh, L-E... I have L-E abbreviated in my notes for law enforcement. Sorry. Law enforcement searched for Aiden for three weeks to no avail. And they had to call off the searches after that, sadly. So could this be a coincidence? Um, if there's anything I've learned in examining true crime cases, it's that coincidences aren't that common. Um, there's usually a connection somehow. I'm not saying that's what happened here. But it just seems eerily similar that you have two 19-year-old guys with the same build in the same area go missing without a trace. And both of their trucks are left in the same condition. That's just like a little too specific to me. So, Box... Let's go back to Dylan. Okay. So, Box Elder Chief Deputy Cade Palmer has made a statement about Dylan's case. He said, quote, if somebody is involved in Dylan's disappearance, they need to know we're not going to go away. If this takes months, if it takes years, we'll keep knocking on doors. Good, as you should. Dylan's parents also want people to keep in mind, though, that because Montello was the last place he was physically seen, they're not even 100% sure if Dylan even made it back to Utah to his farm, which begs the question, was there a crime committed in Montello? Did something take place in Montello and not in Lucent? That is what people were wondering at the time. So, at this time, um, I must now give you the most recent update. As of July 11th, 2022, the Box Elder County Sheriff's Office has named an official suspect. And no, we have not talked about him yet. This person's name is James Brenner, Dylan's neighbor. Yeah. 
Bet you didn't see that one coming. I sure didn't. Um, James Brenner is a 58-year-old man, and the police interviewed him multiple times, searched his property, and analyzed physical evidence and forensic data, and after all of that, they named him an official suspect. Now, James Brenner is not charged yet, but he is currently sitting in jail at the moment on unrelated federal firearm, firearm charges because apparently he's a felon, and you can't have firearms when you're a felon. So, James Brenner was squatting in a trailer on the property where Dylan kept his grain truck at the time he disappeared. And Dylan's mom confirmed this, um, that James had helped Dylan often on the farm. So, technically, James lived five miles from Dylan's RV. Because remember, this is a lot of land that Dylan has. Um, Also, if you don't know what squatting means, it basically means you're living illegally on someone's property. And according to U.S. Attorney Carlos Escada, James Brenner had no right to even be there. Okay, so if you remember, the last thing Dylan said to anyone the day he went missing was that he was going to move his grain truck to the shed because it looked like it was about to rain or it was raining. James Brenner's trailer was searched after law enforcement obtained a search warrant. And after this, prosecutors said that this man is a serious risk with an extensive rap sheet that includes malicious wounding, malicious shooting, and repeat convictions of being a felon in possession of a firearm. So after... Whoa. I gotta zoom back in my notes here, y'all. I'm blind as a bat. So after... Law enforcement searched his trailer. A friend of Brenner was interviewed by the Box Elder County Sheriff's Office and the FBI. This friend told authorities that after Dylan went missing, Brenner brought three black powder guns over to his house and asked him to safe keep them. When this friend asked why, Brenner said he needed to do this for his own safety, and at the last time he had trouble with the law, they took everything from him, and he did not want the things he had left to be taken again. This friend agreed to store the muzzle loaders for him, uh, which he still had at the time of this interview, and all of those were handed over to the authorities. This is a key person in Dylan's disappearance. So, like I said, people don't just go missing. There's almost always someone involved, And those people usually leave little clues with other people accidentally that people wonder, hmm, is that a red flag? Should that be a red flag? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a trail somewhere. And I believe after this interview with his friend, they found one. So, I feel like it always comes out later that the two, that the suspected person has a wrong, long rap sheet and is just in general very bad news. I feel like that always comes out also. So something else that I wanted to bring up here is that law enforcement has requested that the public stop searching for Dylan as it could interfere with their investigation. The family also made a statement about this and here's what they said. As a family, we are not asking for or requesting any additional public searches for Dylan Rounds at this time. We respect that everyone allow law enforcement to continue their organized investigation without any hindrance or interference in order to avoid jeopardizing the investigation. We thank everyone for their continued support in finding Dylan Rounds. End quote. So, James Brenner appeared in court 
on Friday, July 8th. And there is currently a $100,000 reward for Dylan's whereabouts. And Candace, his mom, said something that I think is right on the money. She said, if you offer somebody $100,000 and we've got nothing, that speaks volumes. And I absolutely agree with her because that is the whole purpose of having big rewards when people go missing. Um, That's the point is to draw people out to get them to start talking because money talks for a lot of people. So she was, um, Candace was also quoted saying that Brenner, quote, has the answers. And I completely agree with her. A mother knows. Trust me. So, Candace also said that after the court date on July 8th, July 8th, she fully believes James Brenner has something to do with Dylan's disappearance. And she believed it even more after being in court and listened to everything. And her theory is that James snapped and did something to Dylan. So... James was set to go back to court on Monday, July 11th, and although I don't know the details of that, um, he's still going to be sitting in the doghouse for longer because he's a convicted felon and he had firearms that were confiscated, so he can have fun with that. So, unfortunately, that is where Dylan's case stands as of today. Um, I do think law enforcement is very close to figuring out what happened, along with the FBI, um, but they are not sharing anything on their searches and findings from those. Um, But because they are being so hush-hush, that tells me that they know way more than what we probably think, and they are close to nailing James Brenner. Um, I do think James Brenner had something to do with it. I don't know, however, if Dylan's case is related in any way to Aiden's case, but it is just strangely similar that, um, like, the details in both of those cases are so similar. Um, and those things don't just happen, but again, I'm, I'm speculating, but I just, something in my gut that just doesn't happen. So I'm sorry for this abrupt end, but that is where the case is now. Um, I hope I can up update you all shortly on this. Um, and as soon as I know something, I will mention it at the beginning of an episode like I did, um, today, like with the Murdoch case (coughs) there it comes okay but um like I said that's all I have for you today um I appreciate you so much for joining me and listening to this case and um if you are interested in reading more about the Texas EquiSearch maybe if you read it you'll find out how to pronounce it (laughs) if you're interested in um looking at that group of people please visit their website at Texas EquiSearch.org. <laughs> That's Texas and E Q U U S E A R C H.org. So it's two U's. And there you can look at their active and closed cases. Um, you can sign up to be a member of this team. There's an application for that, though, that you, it's a process that you have to go through. Um, and you can read all about the good that they have done for tons of families. Um, And I think it's very, very interesting what all that they have done to help so many people. And I love that they do it like pro bono. They don't charge anybody for it or any law enforcement entity. I mean, wow, that's amazing. So again, 
that's all I have for you. I think my voice is slowly going out and I am so sorry if that bothered y'all. My allergies are so bad right now and I've been fighting viral stuff basically ever since my son started going back to get to daycare. Um, <laughs> as at the moment, my tonsils, um, feel like they're the size of like ping pong balls and usually at night it gets harder to talk. So I'm going to end it here so I can go rest my voice and you won't get annoyed with me. Um, I'm also going to go take my cold medicine. <laughs> so thank you again for joining me and listening. I so appreciate you being here. Um, I hope y'all have the best day today. Please be safe out there and I hope you tune in for the next one. Bye.